Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. As always, I'm your program host, Patrick Egan. Let's say hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Patrick. How are you, sir? I'm finally back in Texas for a little bit, so I'm kind of happy to be sitting in one spot for a while. Happy to be back in Texas. Well, that's good. At least somebody is. No, I'm teasing. Texas is great. Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, we've uh, been busy. People have been asking me. I've been getting phone calls. They're like, yeah, what's up with the podcast? How come you got... And it's like, you know, we're trying to nail it all down here. It's tough, but, you know, we're working it. Anyway, yep. moving ahead on uh, this podcast, this is actually uh, number 77. Um, what what what's uh, what's in the news that you've been uh, catching this week, Gene? What what have you been uh, looking at? Well, first off, I I think some of our our listeners out there know that my passion has been search and rescue for a long time, and and uh, uh, there's an active case working right now as we speak. It's uh, uh, in California. It's getting some media attention. It's for a firefighter who's been missing since Sunday. Uh, and uh, I got the word this morning that uh, they are using unmanned aircraft now in that effort. And uh, I've got to, to say I wholeheartedly concur with this, and I think that they're doing the right thing to get it out there. I know that it's a proven asset. I know that it works. I want to, and I think everybody at SUAS News uh, is, wants to express their, their prayers and hopes for that firefighter and his family, and uh, I think that uh, we really, you know, want to send as much good luck and sincere Godspeed to the boots on the ground and the aviators who are aiding in that search, and here's hoping that that comes to a happy conclusion. Oh, I would agree with that. Now, kind of on that note, um, and I don't know if you can talk about this, but, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. A lot of this stuff is making press now, uh, and I have not seen any talk of, of, of ACOA or, you know, FAA or anything on that um, with that story, which would be a bummer, but uh, it's usually par for the course. Can you talk about anything that's going on with the uh, Texas EquiSearch appeal? Oh, or okay. That- uh no, there, there's, uh, of course, the judicial system has its own pace, and uh, it's, it's in PC that we're going through. So there's a little bit of a, a, a slow pace at it, it, unfortunately, because they've got such a huge caseload. But uh, we, we've responded to their motion to dismiss, and uh, we have gone back to, again, ask for a stay. And uh, the stay meaning that, uh, you know, I don't have to cease and desist and I can go out and I can assist in search and rescues uh, using an unmanned aircraft again. So that has gone out and uh, they'll get to mull it over for a couple of weeks and they'll respond. And then uh, from there, we're, uh, you know, just uh, uh, waiting for the court to make a decision based on the responses that have been sent in. So uh, things are moving along. Uh, you just you, you never know which way they're going to go. It's it's uh, it's not even as exciting as a horse race. Uh, so you just kind of have to watch and just wait till what the next response is going to be. And hopefully it'll go in our favor. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see in the next couple of weeks and see what happens. 
Okay, well, you know, of course, we've got our fingers and toes crossed uh, on that. Because, <clears throat> I mean, just as you uh, kind of stated here in the opening, that, uh, you know, it's a good application, and these people are uh, out here using it. It'd be nice to find missing persons. I think it's all good. So, you know, that leads into my next question for you, uh, Gene. Tell us about the Saw Roadshow. Where are you Where are you at? I, I know that you were on the road. Can you talk about what you were doing? Oh, uh, sure. Uh, you know, we, we, we do, we talk a lot about SAR, but uh, interestingly enough, I was in New Hampshire last week on the East Coast uh, and doing some training out there, and uh, they've got a, a very capable robotic system out there that they're using to, and this was a new one on me, uh, and i got to tell you, it was kind of surprising, but they're doing tick research. Mm. Like deer tick? Like exactly, dear Tick. I did not know this, but New England has apparently had uh, an outbreak in, of Lyme disease, which if you're a hunter and you go out into the field, you know about Lyme disease. You need to be very careful with ticks. And uh, that's what they're researching. And uh, we were out there, and, and we went through all the training, and we looked at some of the areas that they were going to fly and, <clears throat> and walked around. And they said, uh, when we walked out, they were like, okay, check yourself for ticks, and I'll be darned. Right on my pants leg, what did I have? A little blood sucker. So, and then I itched for the rest of the day. So, um, yeah, it's a it, you know you just never know what an unmanned aircraft is going to be able to do next. And I'm surprised at the resourcefulness of people. Yeah, and that always. I mean, it's the the the, the different fields that you run into, and people are like, "Hey, I'm using it for you know." You're like, "Wow." Okay. <laughs> and then you learn all about that, uh, either that, like, you know, scientific work that's being done or about certain animals or, you know, geology or climate change. or I, It just blows me away, you know. But, I, you know, that's a, that is, I've always said that about the podcast. You get these scientists on here and get them spooled up and they go nuts on what their, you know, passion is. And uh, you learn all this stuff. It's really interesting. I, I just... It just, uh, I'm floored all the time. It's great. I like yep. it. Um, but that's good. I hope you get more of that. I don't know if you saw that new uh, ruling that came out from the FAA. I believe I sent you a copy about that, about uh, public universities being able to pay people to use, do studies with least um, unmanned aircraft should make things easier for people to maybe partner with uh, public universities. Is that the way you read it? I thought it was closing a loophole that kept people from actually doing that sort of work. Well, I thought it was uh, the other way myself. I'll reread that in my spare time. But I thought it was I a little bit... I thought this was uh, very similar to the, the restricted airspace use. You know, they closed that loophole with the restricted airspace on military airbases. Right, restricted and warning. Let's close so down. you can't... Yeah, you can't go out there, <clears throat> or a company can't go out there and, you know, as a for-profit, use military restricted airspace to fly their unmanned aircraft. And I thought the university document that we just got was similarly closing that loophole as well. I don't know. I've looked at it. It's public and private aircraft. I know that's the the the, the concern. Well, we'll have to give that one a reread. I've been a little busy all the different stuff going on here. I'm trying to uh, 
I'm trying to launch a uh, COTS technology readiness level study kind of on my own to get an independent read on what the current commercial systems are out there. I mean, I get calls every day from different, uh, let's say, different people in different industries that are asking for recommendations for uh, sensors and unmanned aircraft. And, uh, you know, I'm really hesitant yep. to say, oh, use this system if I have never seen it or flown it. Yep. or anything like that, because uh, I've been embarrassed a couple of times. I mean, you know, the, we laugh about the drone dealer thing, but I, I do ride around with drones in the trunk of the Prius, and we've had instances <laughs> where I've pulled said drone out of trunk of Prius, and uh, it didn't work. And you That's sit there, always you look stupid. Yeah, you look, you know. But, I mean, on the other hand, it's not my product, but, uh, you know, um so now, you know, I've learned my, my lesson on that one. Must try products first. I've also been working up a revised advocacy plan. Um, you know, that one is, uh, that's overwhelming. All of this stuff is like, you know, solid full-time work. But I think that, uh, you know, we got to get on it. There's that there was an AIAA meeting in Atlanta this week, and they were the administrator is pretty much guaranteeing that they're going to drop that NPRM. It'll probably be right after the election, and as we know, we will be into the Thanksgiving and the Christmas thing, and you know, then we'll be moving into uh, New Year's and the rest of that uh, into the the uh, as the Buddhists call it, it's like the wheel of suffering, um, and we'll be going for that again. Yeah, first quarter wheel of suffering, and uh, I'm not. I already know I'm not going to like that the ASTM thing. Nobody's really. Everybody's asleep at the switch on that one with the Mill Standard 3001 manuals and the ISO like certification and quality assurance. Some people say it's great. I say it's a little too onerous. Should go with something more like the home built um, thing. Or something along those lines. Also trying to motivate AEVSI to move forward, and that is that's proving to be um, uh, damn near impossible. Uh, just very happy with the status quo. And uh, for some reason, folks just uh, there. There are two camps on that. One camp where I've get from the community where people are like, you need to push harder, and the other camp from AEVSI that does not want to be pushed at all. And is not happy with me. I know that's surprising, uh, <laughs> probably news to some, but uh, I, I'm just not willing to wait another five years and flounder around and you know find direction and all the rest of that. Where either you know you either get going or abdicate your position. That's it. You know, there, there's thirty. Yeah. You know, people talk about reasons. You know, there's thirty-one reasons in Europe, thirty-one countries where you can fly illegally. So over thirteen hundred. Uh, commercial certificated operators or let's say allowed operators in Europe. There's an enforcement yep. plan. There's a path to, to work. 14,000 plus operators in Japan. It, it's beyond embarrassing that we can't do anything in this country. What do we got now? It was kind of funny. People are, oh, you know, you, you saw probably Motley Fool and all the rest of that. We got a commercial system flying over land. FAA is, has uh, authorized that. They've gave it their blessing. And, you know, we all know it's AeroVironment's product. There's really only two of the limited type certi certifications, which is for in-situ Scan Eagle and the um, AeroVironment Raven. It is surprising how many people came. I'm sorry, not Raymond Puma. 
how many people yeah. have come up to me and said, wait a minute, I didn't know that. I thought it was open to everyone. And I just laugh and say, well, that's what I've been bitching about for the last five years. But, you know, it, it all comes to fruition. Some people think I'm, you know, oh, he's a malcontent, he's a crank, blah, blah, blah. I've been calling all of this for years. People, I guess it was just too obscure. I don't know. Anyway, that's what I've been working on. But um, today's show, uh, the main gist of today's show is about commercial unmanned aircraft system insurance, or RPAS insurance. And uh, people ask about that all the time. And, oh, you know, we need to have insurance. And, you know, uh, before this industry could take off, we have to have insurance. Well, you know what? Insurance is here. Uh, it's available. I mean, of course, there's there's criteria. And uh, today's guest, uh, Mr. Terry Miller from uh, Transport Risk Management, is going to uh, talk to us about um, insurance, for business insurance for uh, unmanned aircraft systems. Hello, Terry. Hi, Patrick. I uh, appreciate you having me here today. Hey, no problem. Uh, we are glad to have you here. This is something that um, you know I keep espousing to people that if you're going to be in business, you have to have liability insurance if you like your stuff. You know, you don't like your stuff. <laughs> you know, that's a different story. But besides all of that, uh, Terry, could you please introduce yourself to the audience, a little background, and then how you became involved with unmanned aircraft systems? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm the uh, I'm the president of a company called Transport Risk Management. We're an aviation and aerospace insurance specialist. Uh, so we deal only in the aviation and aerospace insurance markets. We insure everything from uh, from DJI Phantoms to 747s. Uh, we and we cover uh, provide limits on those risks, liability limits up to. Uh, up to a billion dollars and over, uh, and haul values up to up into the 50s, and uh, we've got I think the highest haul value we insure here is about 140 million, and we uh, we're also uh, I believe the largest <laughs> insurer of aerial film production in the United States, and our film production clients actually came to us asking for help because they wanted to use UAS in, in the production of films and commercials and, and uh, aerial photography. And in order for us to extend coverage over the production, uh, the, uh, the operators have to have uh, coverage as well. So we began going to our underwriters around the world and developing capacity and, and policy forms that could uh, provide coverage to those operators in order for our film clients to start using UAS. From there, uh, I became very interested, and it just grew. Well, and, and I, you know, we've talked before offline, but <clears throat> I, I know that your real pro proponent is technology and, and having this aviation base. I mean, do you see this as a natural progression, kind of the future of aviation? Is that why you kind of dove into this? There's absolutely no question about it. The aviation insurance policy form is different from virtually any other type of policy form out there. In fact, it uh, goes all the way back to, to the Mayflower covered under the same policy form and uh then through through shipping through autos through trains uh transportation is uh you know is a natural the the faa's contention that uh that that uas falls under under uh under their control uh puts it puts it into our space and because they do fly there's there's virtually uh, there's very little that has to be changed in an aviation insurance policy to accommodate coverage for for a UAS so it fits perfectly we have capacity uh around the world 
our underwriters are interested in it, and they've uh, we we have right now seven underwriters who have who with our help have developed specialty policy forms and endorsements to cover UAS. So it uh, it is a it's a natural fit. Uh, yeah, well, I, I agree. And uh, so the types of coverage, I mean, you know, you have liability, you have, uh, you know, do I, do I have comprehensive? What, what types of, of coverage are available to, let's say, the, the end user? Virtually all insurance policies outside of aviation exclude aviation use, period. Your homeowners, commercial policies, yeah. business policies. In turn, the aviation insurance policy has to provide very broad coverage because all other insurance excludes it. So the aviation insurance policy does provide commercial coverages, general liability coverages, uh, and, you know, for specified uses and, and substantial limits that, uh, that, that can essentially cover all exposures of an aviation operator. In turn, we can extend that to UAS. Uh, we can ensure hull physical damage for loss to the aircraft itself and third-party legal liability up into the, up into the hundreds of millions of dollars. So today we're insuring hulls. Uh, I believe the highest hull value that we're insuring today is about $1.1 million. And the liability limit, the highest liability limit we're providing on UAS is 50 million, and that includes hull physical damage, that includes uh, sales and demonstration of the aircraft, that includes product liability for the production of the aircraft, and uh, that's third-party legal liability for operating in, uh, you know, in the airspace. So it's a it's a it's a very broad, all-encompassing type of coverage we can and we can provide that to virtually any operator that meets our criteria and what about uh, you know uh, payloads you know a lot of these so some of the stuff that you've talked about uh, you know these uh, like uh, say for film production someone might be flying a red and there's about 30 grand plus lenses yada yada whatever uh, could I get can I get insurance to to cover these uh, sensors there's absolutely nothing new about this to us in aviation. We've been insuring these types of operations for, for decades, probably a century at this point. Uh, aerial film production, any type of aerial sensing, we, we have cloud seeding, we have aerial photo, aerial filming. Uh, it's been going on for years and years and years. We've been insuring them for years and years and years. Uh, we can insure the payload. We can insure spares. We can insure extra equipment, uh, multiple sensors, whether it's a set of infrared and, and photographic sensors or, or even the gimbal. So we insure the aircraft as, a, as one part of the system. We insure the, the gimbal. We insure the payload. And uh, many times a, a film production, for example, it's, it's common for, for a production company to want to use the same sensor, the same camera that they've been using for other shots in order to maintain continuity, which means that we have to insure that for short-term use, maybe a day, maybe, maybe three days. Uh, but we can accommodate that. We can charge additional premium. They can lease or rent the camera or even a non-owned camera. And, uh, and we can insure that for physical damage. We can also insure non-owned liability. So, uh, it's one of the biggest exposures in, in aviation. Uh, for a party that hires a third party to operate a UAS or an aircraft, uh, has liability for, for, for hiring that operator. 
um, falls under a category called negligent uh, negligent referral or or you know negligent hiring of a, of the operator. So we can provide that non-owned coverage to a third party who wants to hire an operator. We can ensure a home-built UAS or one that's uh, uh, designed in a garage for products liability for the sale of that aircraft. It may be a one-off, but you can sell it, and it will carry products liability going forward. All of these are very, very important to uh, you know, protecting the, the, uh, the safety of the public and helping to grow this industry, this UAS industry. We can have insured products. We can have insured operators. And we can help uh, help develop the technology and and safely grow the industry. Well, I agree with that. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I've always been a big proponent of insurance. Uh, it shows a, a certain responsibility um, as a sector. One, two, you know, you you uh, you're, you're hitting on some other types of coverage that uh, I didn't even think were really available, and that's why we're having you on the show uh, to discuss all of that. But uh, you know, I don't think people think about this. A lot of people, well, I bought it from Joe Blow, and then uh, Joe Blow had kind of put some stuff on it, and then uh, you know, I put stuff on it, and then I sold sold it to Johnny over here and he flew off and he had a good time uh, thank God we haven't had really any real incident where there's kind of a liability chain uh, but I think that all these people or people out here in this um, community need to think about this and think uh, you know get educated on this and that was uh, you know one of the again one of the reasons we want to have you on now can you tell us I mean you touched on some of the business applications that you're writing policies for and of course uh, film and television um, and then you talked a little bit about cloud seeding and some other things, but I, I know, um, you know, I know there are other industries out there, and I know there's some statistics, you know, of, of, of uh, how many policies you've written. Can you talk about some of the uh, business applications? Absolutely. Uh, what we're writing today, and this means that this is on the books, we have policies in place, is uh, we, have, uh, we have coverage for fire and rescue. We have uh, traffic patrol, accident assistance, that type of thing. Uh, today we're ensuring agriculture to, uh, by and large, Agriculture is the largest use that we're insuring today. It's probably just it's probably just over 50% of every policy we're writing uh, that we're insuring. You know, and that includes conservation, not just agriculture, but 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 the use of UAS, in, including the increase of yield, also allows us to go out and and help develop a means for conserving our soil, water. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, a greenhouse gases, reducing greenhouse gases, it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's overlapping. It's just like unpeeling an onion. Uh, we're doing construction. We're doing bridge inspection today. We're doing pipeline, power line patrol today. You know, and, and as we discussed, uh, uh, we've got railroad and highway maintenance. We have, uh, we, we ensure a fleet of UAS that right now are monitoring railroad in remote areas, mining. Uh, carrying sensors to, uh, to help discover, uh, particularly Molly Danum, and uh, uh, the also recreational national forest areas. And then, of course, movies, videography, news gathering is is big, and 
and then real estate. There are many, many other uses out there that, that we're, we're seeing interest in. Uh, one is tracking, you know, uh, nuclear contamination, fish spotting, things like that. We aren't currently insuring those. Not because we wouldn't, just because, uh, we haven't had the opportunity. But the rest of those uses that I've listed, uh, we do have policies in force. Uh, the, the exact number of policies today, last week, uh, last uh, Friday, I ran a report. We had just crossed through 450 commercial policies bound wow. and in place, and we have 450 renewals coming up in the, 12, the next 12 months. Prior to that, the year prior, we were at 100. The year prior to that, we were at zero. What does the, wow. you know, that that should be a huge indicator? Number one, that the, the, it doesn't mean that those aircraft were not out there operating. It meant that the, now these operators that they have access to insurance are willing to are willing to place insurance. Not only that, but it's, insurance isn't the you know it's, it isn't the most exciting process in the world. It's kind of like you know the the, the wheel of pain, where we're we're going to lay down some some criteria. We're going to have requirements, and we're going to we're going to ask them to verify it and fill out forms. So the people that go through this, these operators are, are genuinely. You know, they're not buying a piece of paper. They're buying coverage. And we have seven insurance companies today that are writing these broad aviation policies. It's a huge amount of capacity. Pricing is, is competitive and probably more competitive than it's ever been today. Well, you know, I was going to attribute those numbers to you being a selling machine. Smiling <laughs> 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 and dialing Terry. I hesitate to say it, but this is a product that sells itself. <laughs> oh, geez. All right. Well, hey, you know, it's good to be in an industry that, you know, where the product's selling itself. Believe me, you know. Um, well, you know, and it's interesting that you talked about some of these other applications because people are always asking, well, what are the applications, you know? And I'm like, well, you know, we'll just have to hold on and see what happens. So punchline on that deal is, is you're willing to listen to any application for possible coverage is that what you're saying absolutely any okay. any any type of aircraft for any use okay and you know we're we're, we're you know 30 minutes happens fast so i want to get this one for sure cuz i get this question a lot what what is you know what is the criteria for coverage for you to write somebody uh some some coverage What's the criteria? Let's talk about that. There are, there are three primary things, same, same exact criteria, same, same process we use on manned aircraft. One, what is the culture of the operator? What's their attitude towards safety? What's their attitude towards training? What's their attitude towards, towards uh, maintenance and, and, uh, and the build of their aircraft? Two, is the aircraft airworthy? Three, is uh, is are are, do the, are they operating it in a in a professional and safe manner in a, in an area and in uh, and in an industry that that uh, that we view as as insurable? So those are really the criteria. Are they willing to get training? Is the airworthy? Is the aircraft airworthy? Is the pilot a professional? That's really what it comes down to. And so you know if you, it. it... That's interesting. So you do that uh, when you're talking to someone on the phone. You you basically kind of we, interview them. 
That's correct. We do it. We, we, we question them, and it, it goes back and forth. Today, the biggest problem we have is lack of training and a lack of being able to confirm that an aircraft is airworthy, whether it's a manufactured aircraft or whether it's a home-built. Uh, the risk management program for most manufacturers up to this point seems to have been will run for the hills, but that's not going to work for integration. And we're trying to find manufacturers who will stand behind their products, put a number on their product, where we want to be able to determine airworthiness, whether it's home-built, manufactured, and we want pilots to be trained and understand the environment they're working in. All of those are huge opportunities for the right people. Excellent. Well, I agree with that. Gene, you got uh, you had something you'd like to add? No, that's, that's an excellent uh, uh, approach to this. I, I like the way it, uh, the, the approach that you're taking, Charity. And I think I'm going to be getting in contact with you because I know you, uh, you've covered one of our planes at one point, but uh, we've got another one that we need to talk about. So that's, uh, that's excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I like your criteria. Now, we're, we're, we're almost out of time, but I'm going to run long on this because I think it's important, <clears throat> and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm liking where this is going. Another question that I get all the time, Terry, because, uh, you know, there were other uh, companies that were writing policies, and uh, people were saying, okay, well, this is the big question. Okay, so the FAA says that this is against their policy, and no insurance company is going to pay a claim. Um, could, could you speak to that or maybe try and clear up the confusion on that? Aviation insurance has not excluded FAA violations for more than 40 years, period. We, we in the aviation insurance industry work with the FAA every day. I work with them every single day of every week that I'm in this business. Uh, my background is aviation. I'm an aviation. My degree is in aviation safety and accident investigation. We cannot use FAA data after a loss because uh, FAA or NTSB. And like so, in turn, we have to run our own investigations. We have to develop our own loss data. So an FAR violation, a manned aircraft, here's an example. It's almost impossible for a manned aircraft to have a loss on, while, while in motion under its own power without violating a federal aviation regulation. We still pay the claim. Likewise, the FARs, an FAA, FAA viol, uh, someone could be operating legally, but the insurance policy may not cover the use. For example, a helicopter that carries people from point A to point B is the insured use. If they're out doing, doing long line or logging and they have a loss, if they, they may be legally operating under the FARs, but it would not be a covered loss under the insurance policy. So what we do is we, we name the, the approved and insured uses under the policy. For example, commercial uh, or, or aerial photo, aerial filming for hire. That is the covered use under the policy. There is no exclusion that, that, uh, that applies to that use. If a loss occurs while the aircraft's being used for aerial photo, aerial filming for hire, the claim will be covered. We've, we've had 22 claims in the last uh, almost 24 months, 23 months. Every single claim has been paid. We've never denied a claim. So there is, uh, I, I, this is another reason why the aviation insurance industry is uniquely qualified and positioned to write UAS. We're, we're, we're used to working with the FAA, with the NTSB. We're used to those regulations. We're used to that environment, and our policies are written appropriately. UAS, there's absolutely no difference. 
Okay, well, I, you know, I think that's going to clear up a lot of confusion because people keep asking that question. Um, the other thing I wanted to give you was an opportunity to, uh, if people want more information or interested in getting coverage, um, would you please give us the Transport Risk Management uh, websites and YouTube, SlideShare, Twitter, contact info, whatever you would like, however you'd like people to get in touch with you. Absolutely. Thank you. It's, uh, they can visit us on the web at transportrisk.com. We're, we're very active on Facebook, uh, Facebook forward slash UAV insurance. And Twitter is uh, at uh, UAS insurance. Any of those will get them to us. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, lots of good information here. Uh, Terry, I'm, uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, I think that uh, we had a lot of a lot of questions could be answered by listening to the program. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here with the podcast series. Um, again, I'm going to tell people uh, you want to be in a, a business person, got to have insurance. Um, and we did run a little bit long, so I think we're going to say goodbye here. But uh, we'll see everyone next week. Gene, uh, keep the you, you know, keep it in the air, and we will talk soon. So from everyone at SUS News, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. See you later. Bye.